Hi everyone, this lesson is on esophagitis. So we're gonna talk about what causes esophagitis. We're also gonna talk about the signs and symptoms, how it's diagnosed and how it's treated. So if we were to look at the word esophagitis, the prefix refers to esophagus and the suffix itis refers to inflammation. So esophagitis is a condition involving inflammation of the esophagus. Now there are multiple types of esophagitis. We're gonna talk about each of them in this lesson. One type is known as erosive esophagitis. Another one is infective or infectious esophagitis. Another one is radiation esophagitis. There's also medication or pill-induced esophagitis. And then there's also eosinophilic esophagitis. Now, what is the epidemiology? Now, each of these types of esophagitis have slightly different risk factors and incidences and prevalences. Erosive esophagitis is the most common type affecting roughly 1% of the general population. So erosive esophagitis is the most common type. Infective esophagitis is significantly more common in immunocompromised patients. So this makes sense. If a patient has a suppressed or lowered immune system, they're going to be susceptible to more infections. So an infection of the esophagus causing infective esophagitis can occur in these patients. And immunocompromised patient populations include those with diabetes, older age populations, and HIV positive patients. Pill-induced esophagitis has an estimated incidence of around 3.9 in 100,000 people per year, and eosinophilic esophagitis is more common or more likely to occur in patients who have atopic symptoms. So individuals who have components or all of atopic triad, which is eczema, asthma, allergic rhinitis, and even food allergies are more likely to suffer from eosinophilic esophagitis, and eosinophilic esophagitis is more common in male populations. Now let's get into more specific detail as to the causes of each type of esophagitis. Now the first one is gastroesophageal reflux disease, so very common condition that can lead to erosive esophagitis. Medications and pills that can lead to esophagitis include the following. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen or Advil and aspirin are medications that can lead to medication or pill-induced esophagitis. Antibiotics, so certain antibiotic use can lead to esophagitis. These include tetracyclines, doxycycline, and clindamycin. And then there are other medications, including bisphosphonates. So bisphosphonates are used for osteoporosis patients. Potassium chloride pills that are used to increase someone's potassium level can also cause esophagitis. And iron supplements like ferrous sulfate can also cause a pill-induced esophagitis. Now, there are several infections that can lead to infective or infectious esophagitis. These include cytomegalovirus, or CMV, HIV, candida albicans, so the yeast candida, which is actually the most common infective organism that leads to infective esophagitis, and herpes simplex virus, or HSV, which is the most common viral cause. So these are the more common infections that can lead to an infective esophagitis. So I have the first letter of each of these boldened to help remember each of these. So CHCH. So that is a way to remember what the infective causes are of infective esophagitis. So CHCH, cytomegalovirus, HIV, candida, and HSV. Radiation can also lead to esophagitis and eosinophilic esophagitis is also another cause. So infiltration of eosinophils. So we're going to talk even more detail as to the pathophysiology behind each of these. So the pathogenesis of esophagitis depends on the etiology. With erosive esophagitis, as mentioned before, gastroesophageal reflux disease can lead to erosive esophagitis. And the reason being is because the lower esophageal sphincter, which 
separates and protects the esophagus from the acidic gastric contents opens inappropriately. So this means that acidic gastric contents can reflux up into the esophagus, essentially burning the esophagus. This is how injury to the esophageal mucosa can happen. So this is how erosive esophagitis can occur. Now with infective esophagitis, each type of virus can cause specific types of issues. So infective organisms adhere to and proliferate or infiltrate esophageal mucosa, which causes irritation, inflammation, and injury to the esophageal mucosa. HSV in particular, so herpes simplex virus, infects squamous epithelial cells of the esophagus, causing vesicles and focal ulcerations. And candida can also adhere to the esophagus, proliferate, and produce these white yellow plaques, all of which can irritate the esophagus. So each of these can slightly affect the esophagus in different ways, but all of them lead to irritation and inflammation of the esophagus. In radiation esophagitis, the radiation causes DNA damage and cell death of esophageal mucosal cells. Now, with regards to eosinophilic esophagitis, eosinophilic esophagitis is a chronic autoimmune condition that appears to be antigen-triggered. So whether that be some type of food or some other trigger, it can lead to an infiltration of eosinophils into the esophageal mucosa, leading to inflammation of the esophagus. And with regards to pill-induced esophagitis, we talked about the pills and medications that can cause pill-induced esophagitis, but essentially what happens is when someone takes their medication, if they were to take a pill and swallow it, the pill gets stuck in or on the esophageal mucosa, causing local irritation and inflammation. And the reason this occurs most often is because someone either takes a pill without drinking fluids with that pill, or they take the pill and then lie down. These are two more common reasons as to the pill getting stuck on the esophageal mucosa causing irritation and inflammation. Now let's talk about the clinical features of esophagitis. The first one is chest pain, and it is a retrosternal chest pain. So you can imagine that your esophagus, which is right in this area here, if it is inflamed, is going to cause pain. And this pain can appear like a myocardial infarction. So it's important to rule out a heart attack or a myocardial infarction in these patients. So it can present like an MI, but in this case, there's going to be some other symptoms as well. Heartburn is also another clinical feature of esophagitis. We talked about gastroesophageal reflux disease being a very common cause of erosive esophagitis, so this is going to make sense. Again, that lower esophageal sphincter is going to open inappropriately, allowing reflux of acidic gastric contents into the esophagus, burning the esophagus. Odinophage is another clinical feature of esophagitis. So what that means is that when someone swallows, they have pain during swallowing. So it's painful swallowing. Dysphagia is also another possible finding in esophagitis. Dysphagia is when there is a sensation of something like food or water getting stuck when you swallow. So this can also occur. Food impaction. So food impaction, when someone eats something, essentially gets stuck in the esophagus. And food impaction is more likely to occur in eosinophilic esophagitis. Oral thrush is also another finding that can be found in infective esophagitis, or more specifically esophageal candidiasis, or candida esophagitis. So oral thrush is this white plaque on the tongue. And if you were to look down, you may even see it going into the pharynx. And essentially, it goes and spreads down into the esophagus. So this can be a finding in infective esophagitis caused by candida. And then there are some complications of esophagitis, and these include strictures. So strictures occur because there is chronic inflammation of the esophagus. So chronic esophagitis can lead to some structural changes in the esophagus, 
causing strictures. And this can also ultimately cause worsening of dysphagia and other symptoms as well. Perforation, so if the esophagus is inflamed chronically, you can imagine that the walls may weaken and there can actually be some perforation in the wall of the esophagus. So this could occur as well. And then some fistulas can occur. So again, if there's chronic inflammation, there can be a fistula that forms. A fistula is a tunneling or connection between one epithelialized surface and another. This is going to be more rare, but it is possible. A fistula perhaps between the trachea and the esophagus forming. Now that we know all of those signs and symptoms, how do clinicians diagnose esophagitis? So esophagitis can be diagnosed on history and patient characteristics. So that is one way. So if a patient has been having issues with gastroesophageal reflux disease, a physician may simply diagnose this clinically as erosive esophagitis. And then if there are other patient characteristics, including immunocompromise, such as diabetes or HIV positive, this may lead to a diagnosis of an infective esophagitis. And then if a patient is on radiation for another type of cancer, this can also lead to a clinical diagnosis of radiation esophagitis. So history and patient characteristics can help with the diagnosis. But to be more specific, the diagnosis often requires an endoscopy with biopsy. So with infective or infectious esophagitis, when a scope has been placed down into the esophagus, the findings on the esophageal mucosa will help with the diagnosis. With candida, it will be found that there will be white, yellow, or cheese-like plaques. And there can be multiple plaques throughout the esophagus, as we see in this image here. With regards to HSV, or herpes simplex virus, there is often visualization of focal ulcerations, so smaller ulcers in different places. And then if there was a biopsy taken, multinucleated giant cells will be found. And if it's found with cowdery type A inclusions, this is pathognomonic for HSV, which means that this is the diagnosis of HSV if we see cowdery type A inclusions. And with cytomegalovirus, it can be multiple large but shallow ulcers. Now, with eosinophilic esophagitis, it has a very characteristic look to the esophagus. So again, we mentioned that there's going to be eosinophilic infiltration into the esophageal mucosa. But when we actually look into the esophagus with an endoscope, we can see these mucosal rings. So they're described as corrugated and concentric. So we're going to see all these rings. This is going to be very characteristic for eosinophilic esophagitis. And these rings are a reason why there can be food impaction with eosinophilic esophagitis. After taking a biopsy, at least 15 eosinophils per high-powered field is also found in eosinophilic esophagitis. Now, with medication or pill-induced esophagitis, pills may actually be visible on the esophageal mucosal surface. So if you actually took the endoscope down and you actually saw a pill sticking to the side of the esophageal mucosa, that is enough for the diagnosis. And then oftentimes there may be some multiple shallow ulcers as well if there's been multiple issues with pills being stuck on the esophageal mucosa. Once clinicians have diagnosed esophagitis, how do they treat it? Now, treatment depends on each type of esophagitis. With regards to erosive esophagitis, because this is due to gastroesophageal reflux disease or that reflux of acidic contents splashing up and burning the esophageal mucosa, it's important to have acid suppression for these patients. So proton pump inhibitors like pantoprazole are important. And then lifestyle modification for these patients, weight loss. So this can help reduce inappropriate opening of the lower esophageal sphincter, avoiding ethanol consumption, avoiding smoking, and avoiding spicy foods, along with other triggers as well that can lead to inappropriate opening of the lower esophageal sphincter. With regards to medication and pill-induced esophagitis, 
it often resolves on its own, but it may be important to stop that medication that may be triggering or irritating the esophagus. If a pill is noted to be stuck on the surface of the esophageal mucosa during endoscopy, endoscopy can be used to remove the pill. And then some modification as to how to take pills is important. So patients often are instructed to drink a full glass of water when taking pills and to sit up or be upright for at least 30 minutes after taking pills. So this is very important. This helps significantly reduce the risk of pill-induced esophagitis. Now, infective esophagitis depends, again, on the infective organism. With candida, nystatin swish and swallow can be used, or ketoconazole or fluconazole can be used. With regards to herpes simplex virus, acyclovir or valacyclovir can be used. With cytomegalovirus, gancyclovir or valgancyclovir will be used. So you can see there's some differences here, even with the viral types of infective esophagitis. So herpes, it's acyclovir and valacyclovir. With CMV, it's gancyclovir and valgancyclovir. So a way to perhaps remember the difference here is that this G looks more like a C. So the C and G are more similar. That might help you Remember, gancyclovir goes with CMV as opposed to acyclovir with herpes. And then if a patient has HIV, antiretroviral therapy for the HIV infection is important. Radiation esophagitis, this is more going to be supportive care, but there may be some radioprotection with amifostine. And for eosinophilic esophagitis, proton pump inhibitors like pantoprazole can be used to help reduce any further inflammation or irritation of the esophagus that may be occurring from reflux. And then topical or systemic steroids like budesonide and fluticasone can be used to help reduce some of the inflammation in the esophagus as well. So if you want to learn more about other gastroenterology conditions, please check my gastroenterology playlist. And if you haven't already, please like and subscribe for more lessons like this one. Thanks so much for watching and I hope to see you next time.